0: testimony to read to you guys remember uh, last week we had a bunch of people get on particularly brave person stepped out with a word of knowledge for about colorblindness you guys remember that all right well I got this message brother I've got something for you today sorry we missed we were under the weather we watched the service online Megan spoke on something Uh, I've struggled with colorblindness for a long time now when she spoke it his wife was like stand up stand up that's for you I didn't but I prayed uh, you know online the next day, Monday, I was stepping out of the shower when a flash hit me from the corner of my eye like a camera flash, and just like that, color came back. Yeah. I screamed for his wife, and she asked what was wrong. I responded, nothing, something is right, and I started bawling like a baby. Everything now is HD or 4K. I can now differentiate a lot of the colors, praise God. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yay God, that's good. And so um, uh, whenever there's a testimony shared, it's a legal precedent. You know, God is no respecter of persons. If he does it for one, he'll do it for another. And so if you've got colorblindness, I just encourage you to say, you know what, I received that too. Notice uh, this person, they didn't do anything special. It wasn't like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to fast over this word. They just said, I'll take it. Why did it happen a day later? Who cares? It happened, right? So (laughs) don't focus on that part. (laughs) All right. You guys ready for a pop quiz? Doesn't everybody love pop quizzes? (laughs) All right. This is a question about your feelings. Okay? This is a question about your feelings. Feelings aren't wrong. They're just not supposed to be in charge. Okay, here we go. If you're a Christian, do you ever feel as if any of these statements are true? Not theologically, but feelings. Ready? When I sin, my salvation is still secure, but I lose fellowship with God and I can't get my prayer answered. When I sin, God can't use me. Sometimes God is angry with me. Sometimes he's happy with me. When I live holy, God wants to bless me. When I sin, God withholds blessings and may punish me. Just so you know, all these statements are wrong. Just so you know, some semi- yes, yes, amen. No, no, no. These are all wrong statements, okay? God may give me poverty to humble me. Sometimes God's presence is, boo, we're booing. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes God's presence is with me, but other times he is far from me. I know these are all wrong, but for a lot of people, this is reality, even in a church like this. Um, The more I draw close to God, the more he wants to bless me. The farther I drift from him, the less he wants to bless me. If I can get rid of this sinful habit, then God will answer my prayers. When I do something wrong, I feel like I can't pray or worship for a few days until I've repented enough to come boldly into his presence again. Lies, 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 all right? So I'm going to to begin by dropping a bomb with you. You guys ready for this? For the Christian, sin is no longer an issue with God. Some of you are rejoicing. Some of you are shocked. Some of you are a little angry. Some might be confused. It's a radical statement, but I got some good news for you. The new covenant is a radical covenant. Okay? Listen, you have a choice. You can live in one of two relationships with God. You can live under the old blood covenant or the new blood covenant. You can live based on your performance or based on Jesus' performance. You can live as a slave under the law or a free son and daughter under grace. You can serve God out of love or you can serve God out of being afraid of being punished. But listen, you can't have both relationships with God at the same time. Paul wrote a letter to the Galatians. They were trying to have it both ways. They were trying to do the grace relationship and the performance plan. And here's what he said to them in Galatians chapter 3. Uh, Maybe, I think it's that, yeah. You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh?" So a lot of people get this feeling, yes, I'm saved by grace, there's nothing I can do, but now that I'm saved, i got to do some things to get God on my good side, to keep him on my good side, to get God to bless me. That's the performance plan. You can't have two relationships with God at the same time. Some of you might be thinking, yeah, Jim, that's great, but God is holy. What about, we're going to get to the whatabouts next week. This week, let's get a clear understanding of what Jesus paid for, okay? Guys, there's a big difference between... Being free from the condemnation of past sins and the correction of a loving Father in your present sins. That's next week. All right? Okay, but today is the foundation for living holy. The foundation for living holy is understanding that you are free from the condemnation of past sins. Okay? Just so you guys know, when Jesus died, he paid for your past sins, he paid for your present sins, and he paid for all of your future sins. It's called eternal redemption, it's in Hebrews 9. You're me, like, hold on, Jesus already forgave me my future sins? You better hope so because he only died once. On. He's <laughs> not like, oh, no, Baker did something stupid. Back on the cross. <laughs> once for all. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. 2 Corinthians, a letter Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And he said there, this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. The Father was in Jesus, bringing everybody to himself. All the obstacles have been removed. This is radical. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Who's the there in that passage? It's actually the world. I'm not saying the world is forgiven. I'm saying all the obstacles between God and... Listen, God loves you just as much as he does Al-Qaeda. Just as much as he does the Republicans, the Democrats, the Libertarians, and the Nazis. He's not punishing... And I'm not saying there's not consequences for your sin. Sin is still stupid. That's next week. Oh, you're like, I'm not coming next week. Yeah, you will. We'll, we'll laugh, but we'll... We'll use some funny word pick. Actually, next week is Dan Muller and you'll forget about it by then. And so, uh, ha... I'm going to have you next. I'll have you anyway. All right? I want you guys to get this. From God's side, all the obstacles have been removed, and he's standing there with his arms open to Al-Qaeda, the Nazis, and religious Christians. Now they have to turn and receive it. But from the God's side, he's not up there ticked off, ready to smite you. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not just believers, not counting their trespasses against them. And boy, I wonder wonder how God feels about um, the gay pride movement. How does He feel about uh, transgender issues? How does He feel about all this stuff? He's not counting their sins against them. He's waiting for them. He's pursuing them with His love. He's He's the prodigal father looking at the prodigal children. Well, I wonder what our response should be. God hates so-and-so, fill in the blank with their, with their marching orders. I'd say uh, that's, that's a different spirit, no matter how much is dressed up. You know what Jesus said to those people who look good on the outside but were rotten on the inside, look real religious? He said, you're a bunch of dressed-up corpses. You're a bunch of uh, uh, whitewashed sepulchers. You're by white, whitewashed tombs. But see, that gets celebrated in religion is when you say how bad it is. Guys, no one's saying that stuff's okay. Just the solution isn't to tell them how bad they are. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. What's the appeal? God's not mad. He loves you. Come home. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's our message. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. I love that phrase. God is not counting sin against the believer. Listen, we've been reconciled to God. We've been made his friends. We've been adopted into the Trinity family. If you became any more like Christ, the Trinity would have to have a fourth member. You've already been made one with the three in one. This is radical stuff. The complete forgiveness of our sins the complete forgiveness of our sins is the foundation of everything else in the new covenant. So you've been following us uh, each week. We've been doing a series on the terms of the uh, of the blood covenant. So we've been looking at the old blood covenant and the new blood covenant. If you remember, um, God cut a blood covenant with Abraham. The whole concept of the of the covenant is this: that through the shedding of blood, two people become absolutely one. And as they become one, they mutually own everything. And so if, I go, if I'm in covenant with you, all of my possessions, all of my abilities, all my talents are now available to you should you need them. All of your abilities, all your talents, all of your assets, they now become available to me. Two have become one. All of my debts, all of my weaknesses, all my frailties will be swallowed up by your strengths and vice versa. And God says, I'm going to enter into covenant with man. All of God's resources, all of God's character, all of God's qualities swallow up all of our deficits. And so as the people would cut a covenant, they would cut on their wrist, and they would rub it together, and the blood would flow together, and the two became absolutely one. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 through 13 in the Passion Translation. But God revealed the defect and limitation of the first, meaning the first covenant, the old blood covenant, when he said to his people, So he's saying, look, there's a different day coming. Look, the day will come. He's quoting Jeremiah chapter 31. Look, the day will come, declares the Lord, when I will satisfy the people of Israel and Judah by giving them a new covenant. It will be an entirely different covenant. Boy, is it different. Remember when the first covenant came, uh, 3,000 people died. When the new covenant came, the day of Pentecost, when the spirit fell, 3,000 people get saved. Those things are different. The law kills, the spirit gives life. It will be an entirely different covenant than than the one I made with their fathers when I led led them by my hand out of Egypt. For they did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I rejected them, says the Lord. For here is the covenant I will one day establish with the people of Israel. I will embed my laws within their hearts, within their thoughts, and fasten them to their hearts. That's what we looked at last time. I will be their loyal God, and they will be my people. Those are two messages that we did earlier. And the result of this will be that everyone will know, will know me as Lord. That's two or three weeks from now. There will be no need at all to teach their fellow citizens or brothers, saying, You shall know Yahweh, since everyone will know me inwardly, from the most unlikely to the most distinguished. For I will demonstrate mercy to them, and I will forgive their evil deeds. You ready for this? And never remember again their sins. Yeah. There is no movie in heaven saying, I know what you did last summer. This proves that by establishing this new covenant, the first is now obsolete, ready to expire, and about to disappear. Man, that is good news. We are not under that system. And all this will take place because he will never remember again your sin. This is the gospel, guys. God is not angry. He's not mad. He's not in a bad mood. He's no longer counting sins. There's no accounting department in the heart of God. There's no book where there's a profit and loss column. There's no black column and red column. God's up there keeping a list of your sins. Sin is an issue that's already been dealt with. It's been handled. And here's the thing. God's the one who handled it. All right? I think a lot of people get this picture. God's up there, and he is ready to torch humanity. He has just about had it. And Jesus steps in and says, God, listen, I know you want to kill humanity, but what if I, but what if I die for them? What if I do something really nice and he's holding back? He's, he's calming down, the big guy. And, then, and he calmed God down, and now you get a do-over. But if you blow it again, his wrath is coming upon you. He's going to withdraw his presence. He's going to ignore your prayers. That's what a lot of people think it's like. It's like God was so mad that Jesus had to come, and when he died, somehow he twisted the arm of the Father, and he says, listen, now you have to do something good for this person because I died, and God says, aw, shucks. I guess i got to be nice now. I wanted, I wanted to torch them. That's how a lot of people live their life. Thinking that Jesus somehow pulled one over on God or did something nice. It says God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself. Remember, he's God the Father, not the Godfather. The entire idea of making you his best friend and part of the family began with God the Father. He set the whole thing up. This was his idea. We just read, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He's the one who did this. There was a holy conspiracy in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit conspired together to make you a member of the Trinity family. You've been made one with the three in one. We walked away from God, but God never turned his back on us. He never stopped loving us, never stopped pursuing us. It was his idea to reconcile. It was his idea to bring you into friendship. And all this he did in Jesus. Isaiah 53, 6, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. Here's the picture. If you and I had this heavy burden of sin and we put it on Jesus, Jesus is now carrying it so you don't have to. Jesus is your covenant representative. Jesus is your substitute. Jesus satisfied the wrath of God against sin. He who knew no sin became sin. God poured out his wrath upon sin. It wasn't child abuse. He poured it out upon sin, and, which means God does not need to punish you anymore because he already punished it in the body of his son Jesus. You guys understand? It's already been paid for. Um, when you're out to eat and uh, someone pays the bill, don't you just love that? Oh, man, that is just one of those things. I found this little trick here. Maybe you guys have uh, seen me do this. I found that if I can get the bill, you know, they come and they lay the bill on the table. If I can get the bill kind of past the halfway point on the table and then just pretend I don't see it anymore, usually the other person will pay for it. It's, it's, it's kind of a beautiful thing. And so, I <laughs> am so like, hold on. He just did that to me. Yeah, it's, it's an old Jewish trick here, so. Listen, when someone else pays for your bill, you don't walk out of the restaurant worried that someone's going to arrest you for not paying your bill. Someone else paid so you can be free. Someone else paid the sin bill, you can be free. Past sin, present sin, future sin. Sin is still stupid. That's a couple weeks from now, and I'm not telling you which week. It could be any week. It might be right now. No. Jesus took all the results of sin sins that I committed, that you've committed, that your parents have committed, your uncles have committed. Uh, even when you were ca- caught in the crossfire of sin, Jesus paid for all those things. I got some good news for you. Here's what that means. There's no generational curses. Despite what you may have heard. There are no generational curses. The final clause of the covenant is I will, I will uh, remember your sins and lawless deeds no more. If God's not punishing you for your sins, he's not going to punish you because your grandfather was a witch doctor. Oh. Hashtag duh. <laughs> I'll tell you what, people fight for the right to be cursed. There's nothing in the New Testament that says you can be cursed unless you believe it. Because when you believe a lie, you empower the liar. I'm not saying there's not generational consequences. I mean, your grandfather was an alcoholic, your parents were an alcoholic, and you grew up in that environment. There's consequences. There's blowback. That's not God cursing you. That's the consequences of sin. You can be as cursed as you want to be. You just don't need to be. That old person that you were, oh, probably a hot mess of curses, probably, but that old person died, was buried with Christ, and was raised with him to a newness of life, and there ain't no curses in his lineage. unless you believe that there is. And so stop believing that. It's a lie. (laughs) 2 Corinthians 5.21. Did I make that clear enough? I don't care what the circumstances of someone's birth is. If two demon-possessed people had a baby, the baby's not Cursed. God is not punishing them for the sins of the father. There wasn't even generational curses in the Old Testament. Hold on, doesn't it say I'll punish them to the third and fourth generation? No, it's not what it says. It says I'll punish them to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. In the Old Testament, if they partook of the sin, they partook of the punishment. Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 18 through 20, he says, There's a proverb being said in Israel, and it will be said no more. The fathers eat sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on an edge. In other words, dad does something, kid pays the price. He says it will not be said anymore. He said, um, I will... Um, I will not punish the innocent. I will not punish the son for the sins of the father. I will not punish the father for the sins of the son. The soul who sins will die. Even in the old covenant, there was some misunderstanding, and his ego comes to correct it. There ain't no generational curses, no matter what you've heard. Are we okay? I mean every time I speak this, people get mad. They fight for the right to be cursed. I just don't understand it. <laughs> Moving right along. When Jesus cried out in a loud voice, it is finished. That is the most final statement that's ever been heard within all creation. There's nothing else that can ever be done. The books are closed. There's no more discussion. Sin has been put away. Now, there's a a saying in the Old Testament about giving them the double okay? Uh, there's no parallel to it today. There's nothing we have to it that uh, we can liken it today. In Isaiah 40, the Lord says to sinful Israel, so Israel, they are blowing it in a big way. Here's what God says, I will give you the double for all of your sin. Now, it sounds like God's going to give them a double beat down. Like, that's how most people are oh, always going to give them double. He's going to give them a double beat down. It's a double, a double trouble, right? That's not what it is. There was a custom in that day that when you came to the end of your rope financially, there was nothing else you can do there was one last act of mercy what you could do. is You could get a piece of sheepskin, and you would write out all of your debts. And you'd write out, like, you know, uh, you know I owe so-and-so. You know, you'd put the name of the person, what she owe. And you would list every single debt, uh, top to bottom, all of them. And you would go up to the city gate, and you would nail it at the gate, and there it was lying open, exposed for everybody to see. Why on earth would they do this? hoping that someone with enough money and enough compassion would come by. And what this person would do is if they read it and they had enough compassion and enough money, they would fold it over double, nail it back, and write their name on it. And whoever had a debt could come and get it collected by the person who wrote their name on it. God says, I'm going to give you double for all your sin. They can come see him, and he will pay the price. (laughs) Whoo! Paid in full. Given the double. You owe nothing. The books are closed. It's over. God is not counting your sin anymore. You guys remember the story of the prodigal son? Uh, It was a story of a a Jewish family, and there was a, a younger son, and he basically said, Dad, I wish you were dead. I don't want to wait till you die to get my inheritance. Give it to me now. I don't care if it hurts you to give it to me. Give me it. Me. He goes off, turns his back on religion, turns back on his family, religion uh, of uh, of um, on Israel's religion, uh, turns back on his family, goes and parties it up, blows all of his money. So there, there's the story, and he thought, you know what? Uh, my dad will never take me back in the house. I'm just going to come home and try to get a job. You guys remember the story? Luke chapter 15, verse 18. I will, here's what he says. And so he, he's afraid my father won't even speak to me. So he kind of gets this little speech prepared. And he says, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. Well, that's for sure. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Now, a hired servant did live on the property. They, um, you know, d- during harvest time and reaping, t- or sowing time and reaping time is when they got the most work. They were hopefully getting a job for the day. They'd be fed for the day, and they'd go back and live wherever they lived. So he's just hoping to live at arm's length, off property with his dad. He's thinking, that's the best I can do. I tell you what, that's where a large percentage of the church is. They're like, yeah, I've blown it. I've sinned. And so maybe I'll still go to heaven, but I'm going to be in this arm's length relationship, off property, out of his presence, just hoping to get to heaven, uh, smelling like hell, right? Right? And so, uh, because, you know this, because he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I've taken the family name to the bottom of the barrel. I brought shame. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I'm just asking for a little bit of charity. Can you hire me for some household chores a couple times a year? So he's got this little speech. And why is Jesus telling us this story? He's telling us to teach us about God. And here's what it says. And so here's the prodigal son, uh, Luke 15, verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The only way you see him afar off is if you're looking for him. Every day he's looking on the horizon and all of a sudden he sees this, this outline. He looks a little more emaciated because he'd, he'd been hungry and he says, that, that looks like my boy. And what does he do? He leaves the comfort of his home and he takes off and uh, the King James says he fell on his neck. It's, it's, it's a picture of a bear hug. And it says he kissed him. Look in the margin of your Bible. It says he kissed him repeatedly. Look at this picture. It's this kid who has shamed his name. He sees the outline of his son. He says, that's my boy. Takes off, bear hugs him, smothers him with kisses. Um, and, the, uh, and then the son begins his speech. He's getting kissed until the son begins his speech in verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be, uh, be called your son. The father shuts him down in the middle of his speech. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. Isn't it interesting? He didn't have the son go into the house to get the robe. He brought the robe to the son. Why? Because uh, if he'd have walked in there in that kind of condition, um, everyone would have remembered him in that emaciated condition. But now that he had the father's robe on, he looked like his dad. He said, uh, put a ring on his hand. What's that? That's the Amex card. You blew the inheritance. Here's the rest. And put shoes on his feet. Slaves had no shoes. I'm restoring your dignity. You're a son. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this was my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to party. I think the next verse says, and, uh, this, and all of heaven rejoice, all, all of angels in heaven rejoice when one lost sinner comes home. I want you to think about this. When you became born, when you were born again, when you came home to the Lord, he already reconciled you, but when you said, yeah, I receive it, when you said, thank you, Jesus, There was a party in heaven, and there was a banner over the table with your name on it. And all of heaven rejoiced. The boy came home with his book of all of his sins, ready to beg to be a servant, and the father wouldn't even let him finish his plea. The father took the books and threw them away and just hugged them and kissed them because the father is no longer counting sin. for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Guys, that's the main clause of the new covenant. It's what makes all the other parts work. Some of you, all of us, we need to memorize that. We need to memorize this. Unfortunately, it seems like so many Christians, they believe the exact opposite of God. Get the cue of the video already. They believe God is a lot like this. I have to play this once a year. It's a Zion classic. Here we go.
1: Do you think he can fly? Shh. Here he comes. Well, all right. Now it's time for me to tell you all what you've done wrong since I last saw you. And don't try and hide because I'm Jesus. I will find you. Let's start with you, Peter. You lied to your mother the other day. Andrew, you said a naughty word when you hit your finger with the hammer. James, you laughed at him when he hit his finger. Moving right along, John, you drank too much wine the other night. Not way too much, just enough to make me angry. Matthew, we fell asleep in church, didn't we? Yes, we did. And Thomas, you were slow dancing a little too close with that girlfriend of yours. Let's see, and you... I forgot your name, so you're off the hook for now. Um, hmm. Philip, I saw you smoking a cigarette behind that big rock the other day. Thaddeus, I hate to say I saw you stick up your middle finger at someone who cut you off when you were riding your camel. Benjamin, you aren't wearing your WWJD bracelet. Jacob, I don't mind you saying my name, but not after you stub your toe. Frank, you know what you did. I just can't repeat it, because I'm Jesus. Alright, all you sinners, come with me. Time to pay the piper. It was only one cigarette. I heard that. Look at all these sinners. All right. Listen up. Listen to me. I'm Jesus. Listen to what I have to say. I have done many wonderful things. I have healed many people of diseases. I have performed many miracles so that I can tell you this, you're all evil. There is no hope. That's it. Thank you.
0: I tell you what, that's a lot of Christians. They do something wrong. I think it's time to pay the piper. My past sins have caught up with me. All these terrible things that are happening to me, my family, my finances, it's because of the sins I've committed. It's because of some generational curse crap. When you have a flat tire, what sin is God punishing me for now? Guys, God is not keeping an itemized list of all your failures. There's no projector screen in heaven to show all your sins from the day you born till the day you return to heaven. All the records of your sins have been incinerated by the blood of Jesus when he yelled, it is finished. Only the devil, you yourself, and the people around you bring your sins to remembrance. God does not remember your sins anymore. The final clause of the new covenant. You know what, our cars are paid off. When I'm driving down the road, I'm not thinking, I hope that the repo man does not find out about this The debts have been paid. I'm free to drive. Your sins are paid in full, and there's no penalties accruing. But sometimes I get these thoughts on my head when I sin that, you know what, I can't come to God. I can't preach with boldness. I can't pray for this person for healing. Uh, Has anyone ever had this? You know what God is screaming in your ear? I love you. I love you. I love you. I burned those books. Now come dance with me. That's the gospel. But I'm warning you, sometimes it feels a little bit illegal. It's like, can it be that good? I remember I was in a meeting with a church leader, and he was uh, basically uh, sharing the idea. Actually, I wrote down the quote. Um, God beats me and scourges me when I sin. And uh, he was trying to uh, say that, you know, he's so close to God that any sin he's just so sensitive to. And so, um, so God beats me and scourges me when I sin. And I, uh, for some strange reason, I spoke up and said, um, no, that's the old covenant God is not beating you. That's the accuser, Satan. Um, didn't go over super well, just going to be honest with you. It, uh, I mean, it was almost like I said, your wife is ugly. I mean, he got so mad instantly and began yelling at me. The, the religious spirit is not, a, is not a pretty thing. Let me ask you a question. How free from sin are you supposed to be? Okay? Romans chapter 5 hits this question. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. And then the next verse is chapter 6, verse 1. Here it is in the New Living Translation. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. That was last week. Remember the last time we looked at that, the law. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. What on earth is happening here? They keep sinning and He keeps pouring out more grace? Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God should show us more and more of His wonderful grace? It's like if I keep running off this credit card debt and He keeps paying it off, should I just keep running up the debt? If you're hearing the grace of God and your response, your response should be this should be your response. It's so scandalous. You should say, hold on. Are you saying we can just keep on sinning? That's the natural response to hearing the good news. If you're hearing the good news and your response isn't, what on earth? Are you saying we can just go on sinning? Then you haven't heard the good news. Now, here's Paul's answer to that. Of course not. It's his answer. Uh, What should we do? Should we go on sinning so God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? His answer is in verse 2, Romans 6, 2. Of course not. We've died to sin. How can we continue to live in any longer? That will be at an undisclosed future time message coming up in the near or far future. <laughs> it's kind of like j- double jeopardy. Double jeopardy is a procedural defense that forbids a defendant from being tried on the same or, a, or similar charges following a legitimate acquittal or conviction. Guys, you have already, uh, someone has already paid the price for this. They're not going to pay for it again. 2 Corinthians 5.21, again, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus was tried and found guilty, and the price was paid as you and for you. In the Old uh, Old Old Testament, if someone had a sin in their life, they brought a lamb to the priest, and the priest would inspect the lamb to see if the sacrifice was acceptable. I want you to notice this. The priest inspected the lamb. He never inspected the person. When you come to God, he's not looking at you to see if you're worthy to receive forgiveness. He's looking at his son. And our job is simply to say, thank you, Jesus. I receive it. Well, Jim, what if I sin and then get hit by a car? Do I go to heaven? I remember I had these questions growing up all the time. You probably did too if you went to a religious church. Um, Listen, Jesus paid for the whole sins of the world once for all. Past, present, future sins it's kind of like this. Under the old covenant, imagine that you found a diamond the size of your fist. You just love it. You didn't really totally understand how, what it, how valuable it was, but you had it, and you loved playing with it, but when you played with it, it got dirty, but locally uh, nearby your house, there was a waterfall, so you would take it, and you'd put it under this waterfall, and it would get clean, and you'd play with it, and it'd get dirty and get clean. Play with it, get dirty and clean. Welcome to the old covenant. They sinned, offered sacrifices, temporary cleansed it, And so under the new covenant, imagine that there is this little cleft in the rock that fits the diamond perfectly, and it's continually under a waterfall of forgiveness. Under the new covenant, you are continually under a waterfall of forgiveness, and it never gets dirty. Sin does not change the way God feels about you, but it may change the way you feel about God. It will deceive you into thinking he's mad, angry, and distant. Get this phrase in your spirit, you are unpunishable. Oh, I thought that was a little better than that. Uh, <laughs> okay, you're just letting it get into your spirit. All right, all right, all right. Well done, well done. 1 John 2, 1. Uh, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, you will have an advocate who pleads our case to the Father. Because he is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. I want you to know this. We have the best lawyer ever. He has never lost a case he never will. There's never been a mistrial. When you sin, Jesus is right there with you at every moment to enforce the victory that he's won over sin in your life. You're like, well, Jim, that's really good news. This makes me really want to try not to sin anymore. That won't work. <laughs> Trying harder does not work. Okay, that's putting it back on your efforts again. Listen to 2 Peter verse 1, verses 5, chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and with self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness not steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready for this? So if you're like, come on, I don't feel like I'm increasing in these things. Verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Wow. How do you become a good Christian? How do you get these qualities in your life? The answer is to remember the main clause of the new covenant. And it's going to give you confidence to come into his presence and have him change you. I want you to notice how Jesus dealt with sin. Grace first, then you stop sinning. So many Christians are trying to stop sinning so they can get the anointing. Stop sinning so God will speak to them. Stop sinning so God will answer their prayers. Grace first, then you stop sinning. In John chapter 8, there was a woman caught in adultery. And it said, uh, the other, other people left. And it said, uh, Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? There's all these people ready to stone her to death because that's what the law said. Uh, verse 11, no one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I want you to see this. She received grace, and then she was able to go and sin no more. Guys, this is how it works. If you want to get out of a sinful habit, it's not from trying to get out of a sinful habit. It's by looking at the grace of our Lord Jesus. Timothy says this, uh, the grace of God teaches you to say no to ungodliness. How How do you get out of sin? The grace of God. It teaches you to say no to ungodliness. There was a woman with a scandalous past and she uh, washes Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears. She breaks open a jar of expensive perfume and Jesus said this, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved him much. He who is forgiven little, loves little. Okay. He who is forgiven much, loves much. Guys, there has not been a person born yet who has not been forgiven of a whole bunch. Okay. But it's the person who realizes it. Person who sees what Jesus has done that's the person who loves much. Forgiveness does not lead to a lifestyle of sin, it leads to a life of glorifying Jesus. There has to be a deliberate choice. I'm telling you, it's going to feel illegal. It's going to be it can't be this good. I still have to do something. There has to be a stamping of your foot and saying, "This is the truth, and I renounce the lie that God is counting my sin. God comes and says, I've given you the double. I'm not counting it. We don't discuss it. We don't bring it up. The blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. And there comes that moment of faith where you just abandon yourselves to the arms of Jesus and you say, thank you. I'm closing with this. The power of the gospel is to live each waking moment having the confidence that all your sins are forgiven. And you can boldly access the throne of grace. All his promises are yours because of Jesus, not because of your behavior. Next, at some point in the future, um, we'll see that sin does not change your relationship with God. It does change your relationship with the devil. It gives them access into your life. Stupid, okay? But you cannot break free from sin by trying not to sin or by focusing on sin. If you want to have a church full of sin, preach the law all the time, telling people to try harder, get rid of sin. What's that do? Sin is like a red flag to a (laughs) bull, It's like the bull sitting in the corner, and all of a sudden the law comes along and says, "Don't do this. Do this. Try harder. Get up early. Pray more. Read more." And the the bull come, that, that sin nature comes up, and whew, or that sinful desire comes up, and uh, that's the law, okay? And so there's churches that were uh, they think that's good preaching. Oh, the preacher's stepping on my toes. That's good preaching. You know, when you feel leave feeling horrible. No, that's the old covenant law, condemning you. Like, stop it. <laughs> no, I don't get it. All right, you cannot break free from sin by trying not to sin or focusing on sin. You must focus on God's grace. Your sins are paid in full. Okay, so let's, um, let's stand up for, uh, for the closing prayer here, the closing little exercise we're going to do. If you're here this morning and you're walking around with guilty feelings over past sin, or you feel like there's distance and separation between you and God, uh, you feel like you're not the kind of person that God would want to bless, I've got some good news for you. God has given you the double. <laughs> All that stuff that you disqualify yourself uh, for, he's listed it on a piece of sheepskin, folded over, and written his name on it, paid in full. So I want you to just, let's just take a moment, whatever, whatever that is. Maybe you've got a sin right now that you haven't confessed to the Lord. Confessing sin just, just simply means I'm saying the same thing God says. God, it is wrong Uh, I'm sorry I did this. I I own it. I I was wrong. But Lord, I thank you. You're not counting it. There's a grace to not only forgive me, but to empower me. So if you've got a current sin in your life that you haven't confessed, this isn't time to feel horrible and show God how bad you feel. It's a time to look at Jesus and say, thank you. You paid for this one too. Receive that grace to step out of it. So let's just take a moment and just think about God giving you the double. Let's take a moment for that. maybe just kind of uh, finish it up with that that moment of faith, that abandonment and trust where you leap into the arms of God and you say thank you, as that's complete in the repentance. So thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. Thank you that you've given us the double. Thank you that you remember our sins and lawless deeds no more. Thank you, Lord, that generations before us may have blown it, but God, we are under a new generation with you. No more hiding from God, guys. No more fig leaves. No more shame. Jesus has paid it all. We can, we can receive that grace. I want to end this way. If there's anyone here this morning and you do not know Jesus, you've never had a time where you've trusted him, uh, you've heard the good news this morning. Jesus took your place. There's a new blood covenant where uh, the two can become one. You and God can enter into a relationship together where his strength flows into your life. All of your weaknesses are swallowed up, and you can learn from him how to be like him. So the gospel in two words is trust Jesus. I'm not going to just believe facts about what he did. I'm putting my confidence in him, that he is the one. He is the master of life, and I'm going to learn from him how to live like him in his strength. And so if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus, but you're like, hey, I want to do that. Or maybe it's been a long time, and you're like, listen, maybe you're going under the law, doing things under religion, but uh, you're here this morning, you're like, man, I want to I trust Jesus. I'm just going to ask you to, uh, to raise your hand in a moment. Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. So not trying to embarrass you, but there's something powerful about saying, yeah, that's me. And so is there anyone in here like that's me? I, I, need, I need to trust Jesus. Either it's been a long time or I never have. Is there anyone in here? It works online, too. Anyone? Thank you. I see that hand. Anybody else? Oh, I see that. Okay, over there. Thank you in the back. Thank you. Awesome. Anybody else? You with a palpitating heart and the dry mouth. Anybody else? Man, I got some good news for you. For, the, for those people, thank you for your, for your courage to raise your hand. And uh, heaven sees that. And uh, it says there's going to be a party today. And the banner over the... The name on the banner is, is your name. And so there, there's no official way to do this, but sometimes it helps to just say a prayer. And so why don't we just all say a prayer? And if you, if you didn't raise your hand, but you wanted to, or if you're online... Let's just uh, uh, just repeat a prayer. But basically, we're just trusting Jesus. Say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I, love you. I want to learn from you, how, you. To like you. how to be like Forgive you. Me for my sins. Forgive me for my sins. I thank you that you remember them no more. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, it's good news. news. All right, so this, uh, yeah. So this Friday, uh, 7 o'clock, Dan Moeller, Don Wallabaugh will be here for the weekend. And then Saturday is going to be 10 a.m., 2 and 6. I encourage you guys. We don't bring in people just to just to have events. This is really going to be something special. And so uh, if you would like some additional ministry, our teams will be, uh, uh, be coming forward. They'll be the ones with tags on. If you would like someone to...